If I can get your attention as we're moving back to our seats, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. I'm going to throw out ideas. I, I'm, I'm slinging mud on the walls. And I'm hoping that one of these ideas strikes you somewhere. Guy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, years ago, works in a steel mill. Well, you know what happened to that. They shut them all down. So he had no job, and the housing market went low. So he couldn't really move easily without losing all of his equity. So one day he sees this lady working on some junk in her yard, and he goes over and says, do you need help cleaning this up? And she said, oh, yes, I would pay you to help me. So he has a pickup, and he goes over and starts cleaning up all this lady's junk, hauls it off. Some of it he can sell. She didn't want it. Well, he does this, and the next thing you know, another lady like her calls him, said, I need you to clean out my attic if you can. He goes over, he gives her a quote. She said, you bet, I'll do it. And so he starts cleaning up attics and yards and all this stuff. Before long, he's got a business paying him way more money than what he was working at the steel mill. And so sometimes what looks like the negative really can be flipped into a positive. You've just got to not let go and keep looking to God. I had an associate pastor. He was a car guy. He grew up with cars. He knew about cars. He was very familiar with cars. He could look at a car and tell you what model it was. He started taking the Dallas paper, living in Tulsa. He would get the Sunday Dallas paper and just look through it for a used car. But he noticed a trend. He would compare the prices of the same car in Tulsa, and he noticed that the car in Dallas was selling for several thousand dollars less than what it was selling in Tulsa. So he goes to the bank, and he asks the banker, will you loan me money for this car, this much money, and I don't want to do monthly payments. I want to borrow the money for six months. I'll pay a single interest payment, no compounded interest, single interest payment, but every six months I will pay off that note. And the banker said, sure, I'll do that. You've got good credit. I'll let you do that. And you put the car up for collateral. So he gets on a Southwest Airlines plane, pays $49 to fly to Dallas, meets with the guy who's got the car for sale, looks it over, determines that the guy told the truth, drives the used car back to Tulsa, gets the title and stuff put in his name, pays the interest payment, drives it for six months, and sells it for more than what he paid for it because the market in Tulsa for that particular car was better than what the market was in Dallas. So my associate pastor drove a new car every six months and never had a car payment. Wow. <laughs> now that's not necessarily making money, but it's dang sure saving some money. And you get a new car every six months. And I couldn't do that because I know you get in the car behind the steering wheel. I know that. And I know you put the, I don't know enough about cars to do what he did. Now I developed skills in another area. So what I want you to see is every one of us has a totally different skill set. One lady came to me and she said, you know what? I make baskets. 
And she said, my husband sells them at his work. And he said, the, she said, the ladies there love the baskets that I make. She makes baskets for every occasion. Some of them are, it's got body lotion, shampoo, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, some of it is food. She had all these different ideas for baskets, and she could do all of it out of her home. She was amazing at putting them all together. It was just, a, it wasn't enough to make a living, but it brought an extra income stream into their home. There's always something, and I'll be telling some more of those here in a minute. Proverbs 10.4, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. This is what I want to tell you. When you are not happy with your money situation, and I've been there, and when you are not happy with your job, and I have been there, one of the things that it is human nature to do is to defer your dreams to the future. One of these days, it's going to get better. One of these days, a better job is going to come along. One of these days, I'm going to get a better boss than the boss I've got right now. But I want to say something to you. If you do not take advantage of the now, you will never receive the new. You have to take advantage of the now because the now is the key to getting you to the new. Do not wait for perfect circumstances. Now listen, when it comes to money, the hand is more important than the heart. When it comes to money, the hand is more important than the heart. Now I'm going to show you that from this Bible story. It's found in Genesis chapter 39. It's the story of Joseph. It says that Joseph was brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him. Now here he is in a strange country, 17 years old. He does not know the language. He does not have his freedom. He is a slave. Do you think his heart is in this? No. He is heart sick. He is brokenhearted. He wants to go home. But he can't because his brothers sold him into slavery. And the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and he was a prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now this is important. God said that Joseph was prosperous, but he's a slave. So apparently God's definition of prosperity is not having a whole bunch of money in a bank account. Prosperity is an attitude of the heart. And it all starts with this attitude that you've got. And the way that we know you've got the right attitude is you start doing something with your hand. There is nothing that Joseph can do. There is nothing that he can change. So I want you to listen to Genesis 39, 3. And Joseph's master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his what? Hand. It was Joseph's hand that made the difference. He probably didn't feel like doing this work, but he's got no choice. 
So he pours everything he's got into being, if I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave. I'm going to be the best one. I'm not saying that we're teaching and condoning slavery. I'm just saying this guy says, I'm going to do this job better than anybody's ever done it before. All right? And, I'm, and he's obviously working for the Lord. And he made him overseer of his house. And over all that he had, he put it into his what? Hand. So Joseph winds up running the show. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, Genesis 39.6, Genesis 39.8. And he committed all that he had to my hand, is what Joseph said when the man's wife tried to make passes at him. And then Genesis 39.22, he gets thrown into prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's what? Hand. All the prisoners that were in the prison and whatever they did there, he was the doer of it. Genesis 39, 23, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under Joseph's hand because the Lord was with him, and that much he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Six times in one chapter, the Bible mentions that it was Joseph's hand that got him to where he was. I had learned how to do this early on. I got trapped into doing jobs I didn't like to do. We hauled hay. We hauled hay. That's how my uncle had to pay his salary. We were in a small church. It didn't pay him enough to live. And so he and I got a hay truck and we hauled hay. I got room and board and $10 a week. Room and board and $10 a week ain't a lot of money to make for hay hauling. But I was there to help my uncle and to serve him. And I poured my heart in that hay hauling job. And we weren't just hay haulers. We were the best hay haulers. We took pride in beating everybody's butt in the hay hauling business. I'm telling you, we slung those bales. We stacked them, we stacked them eight tiers high on a 20-foot bobtail trailer, 262 bales. We could haul some hay. I'm telling you, if we could work just in the field and didn't have to haul it 40, 50 miles away, we could move over 2,000 bales a day. It was amazing how much hay we hauled. And everybody in the area knew that we were the best. When you come to Church on the Move today, people will say, this place is so clean. Everything about it is clean. If you've ever been to our church, that's one thing you know. The bathrooms are clean. Everything is sharp. We have people who do nothing but go around and paint because we have lots of kids. And kids put little handprints all over. We're constantly cleaning things up. Constantly. We keep... Our stuff looking fantastic. You know where I learned that? I learned it in a hay field. I learned it when I started. People ask me, where did you get this excellence? Everything we do, we do it with excellence. But my uncle taught me that in a hay field years ago. I hated the now, but I understood the idea that if I want to get out of the now and go to the new, I got to treat the now like it's important. Are you with me? That's what the Bible teaches us about diligence. Now, I'm talking to you about ideas, and we all want that great idea, and there are great money-making ideas out there. But sometimes the key to your money is not an idea. The key is your hand. You need to stick with it and apply yourself. Sometimes we, we, we goof around and we talk too much. And we love to visit. You know, I used to have trouble in my job when I worked at a church with a big staff.
I didn't have this problem when we had a small staff. It was just me and the pastor. We didn't have this problem. But when we had a big staff, I moved to Tulsa, and there were loads of us on staff. Everybody would come to my office and interrupt me. I couldn't get any work done. I couldn't get any work done at all. I mean, I'd be right in the middle of something here, and somebody else come in and sit down. Hey, what's going on? One day I just said, Lord, i got to talk to you about this. How come everybody feels like they come to my office and talk to me in the middle of my work day? And the Lord said, how do you handle your work break? I'd get up and go to the Dr. Pepper machine. Hey, what's going on? I'm going to their office. I'm doing that to them on my way. On my, I'm on my break. It's okay. It's not okay. You know what I'm doing? I'm telling all those people, I got all the time in the world. Because they see me all through the day, just taking it easy. I'm on break. I don't do that when I'm working. But on my break, I'm hanging out and talking with everybody. So, so they're coming when they're on break and returning the favor to me. <laughs> I started noticing my pastor, when he would come into the church, he would walk down that hall, go right into his office and close that door, and he didn't come out. And, I'm, and you know what? We all respected his time. We all respected that he was busy. We all treated him with high regard because he looked like he was busy. I don't know if he was or not. He might have been sleeping in there. But as far as we knew, he was busy. You see, the way you carry yourself is how a lot of other people treat you. If you want to be looked at as someone who can be trusted, the, this guy says, every time I look at Joseph, he's cleaning something. He's doing something. He's, he's working on something. All right? You don't know this, but Joseph was promoted finally, and he got to be the second in command of all of Egypt. And listen to this. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and he put it on whose hand? On Joseph's hand. That's the seventh time his hand is mentioned. In the Bible, six is the number of a man who falls short of God's glory. But seven is what happens when God crowns him. And when we see the seventh mention of Joseph's hand, it's when the Pharaoh promotes him. So he's doing all that he can do. Then God steps in and does what he can do. That's so cool. Now, what I want you to see is that diligence is the surefire way to being a leader and being promoted. Two things go together in life, and you need to know what they are. They are privilege and responsibility. Everybody wants privilege. Privilege is more money. Privilege is a parking spot with your name on it. Privilege is a corner desk or corner office. Privilege is a title. It's a raise in pay. It's little perks. We all would like to have privilege. But can I tell you where privilege comes from? It comes from responsibility. And when you take responsibility, privilege is sure to follow. The reason more people don't have privilege is because they don't take responsibility. Joseph started taking responsibility on that job, and it brought him privileges. If he's going to be a slave, he might as well be the top dog. He might as well run the whole household. But you know what Joseph was doing? He was going to school. Did you know you don't have to be enrolled in, a, in an, a, a, an elite college 
to get great training. I have one year of school. I've built over $120 million worth of buildings. I've built our ministry up to a $30 million a year business. I have over 350 employees, and I got one year of Bible school. And I did not learn what I'm telling you in Bible school. I learned how to play basketball. <laughs> I didn't learn anything about business. I learned how to eat popcorn. I learned how to play pranks. I learned that you could fill up an envelope with shaving cream and take scissors and cut the edge and slide that envelope under somebody's door and slam it with your Strong's Exhaustive Concordance and it would spray shaving cream all over that room. So I'd knock on the door. I could hear them grabbing the handle. Boom! And there's a shaving cream bomb. Explodes head to toe, man. It covers them up. I learned that in Bible school. But you know what? I hadn't made a nickel with that. But I'm going to tell you something. I learned excellence and I learned work. What did Joseph learn when he went to school? First of all, number one, he learned the Egyptian language. He didn't speak their language. He couldn't communicate with them in the beginning. It must have been really rough as a 17-year-old kid not to know the language of the people where you got to work and they don't like you. So the first thing he had to do is learn the language. Denny Duron's pastor friend of mine in Shreveport, Louisiana, he told me one of the most heartbreaking stories I've ever heard. He said when he had this Christian school that for whatever reason, the girls in the school treated his oldest daughter horribly. And they wouldn't talk to her. They wouldn't deal with her. They wouldn't have anything to do with her. And they had all of these kids who had come to Shreveport from China. And many of them were in his school. And so the only girls who would sit with her at lunch were the Chinese girls. So she starts hanging out with the Chinese girls. She becomes interested in them and in their culture. And so she starts taking some trips to China. She decides after college, she's going to work in China. She learns the language. This rejection from the cool girls at school turned her into an international business agent in the fastest developing economy in the world by the hand of God. So Joseph's down here in Egypt, and he learns the language. Number two, he learns the culture. You can offend people and not even know you've offended them if you don't know their culture. And then finally, what did they put him over? The food. First place he worked, it was about the food. The second place he worked in the prison, it was about the food. All of these years, 13 years, Joseph is in food service. And finally, in the prison, he becomes an expert on human behavior because the prison is, is full of innocent guys. <laughs> no, I did not get my food yet. Oh, yes, you did. I brought it by here a little bit ago. He learns to read people and read them well. And so guess what? When Pharaoh has a dream and he doesn't know what it means... There's a guy who says, I remember this guy in prison who can interpret dreams, and it's Joseph. 
And he comes in and he not only interprets the dream for the Pharaoh, but listen to me now. He doesn't just interpret the dream, but when he's over, he tells Pharaoh how to solve the problem that's going to happen when the dream comes to pass. Joseph gets the job not because of a lucky break. He gets the job because he's the only man in Egypt who can do this. And the Pharaoh says about Joseph, I want you to listen to this. He said, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, for as much as God has showed you all this, there is none so discreet and as wise as you are. He said, basically, there's not a man in my kingdom who can do what you're going to do with this food. And so Joseph was totally ready. He could tell if someone was lying. He could tell how much food people really needed. He could tell how to save food. He managed food. He spoke the language. His brothers didn't even recognize him because he had completely adapted to the Egyptian culture. When they came after he was promoted, they had no idea they were talking to their own brother. He spoke without an accent. I mean, this guy was good. And so what I want you to see, we read the story and we think, man, it's amazing how God gave him a lucky break. It wasn't lucky. It was the hand of God promoting somebody who should have been promoted a long time ago. What I want you to see is that God had Joseph in this place to train him. And sometimes your training is not coming from where you think it should. Sometimes it's that hard, dead-end job that is the very working for a very difficult boss is preparing you. Listen, when God had me learn how to teach kids, he didn't put me with the sweet little church kids. <laughs> he put me with bus kids. They were mean as heck. I had a little black boy in my church, and little is loose. He weighed about 250 pounds in the fifth grade. His name was Grover Lee Mack. Cutest kid you've ever seen. Big old cheeks. No Grover would walk in. I love that kid. He had one of those kid heads. Every time you see him, I wanted to give him a noogie. I just wanted to hug him and just rub the top of his head. And old Grover was the most lovable kid. But I started noticing that the kids next to him would cry from time to time in service. And I thought it was because God was touching those kids. It wasn't as Grover had them in a headlock, man. He was, he was strong as an ox, ornery as the Dickens. I had to learn to teach with Grover sitting out there putting his two kids in headlocks and banging their heads together. He was so much stronger than everybody else. That's who I had to learn to teach with. I had to learn to teach with kids who I had them red, yellow, black, and white. I had race rides on my bus every Sunday. I mean, it was amazing. And I learned how to deal with those kids and solve those problems. I had the first integrated church in our whole region. We had the first mixed-race church. And I loved bringing those kids in. I developed relationships. People would say, you can't go down that part of town at night. I can go anywhere in this town. You watch me. And I would go down and say, oh, it's the candy man, because I give out candy every time I knock on doors. <laughs> I went everywhere I wanted to go. 
There wasn't anybody who treated me like an outsider. They loved me. They opened doors to me all over the place. Do you know why this was important? Because God was going to call me to teach kids all over America. And God didn't want me just teaching white kids. God wanted me to teach red and yellow and black and white. He wanted me to have all those little Hispanic kids on my bus. He wanted me to have experience in all their homes. I got along with all of them. But I learned it in some of the roughest conditions you could learn in. See, and you may think, oh, man, I'm in a dead-end job. You may not be as dead-end as you think you are. You may be in a great place to learn to hear from God. Make the best of exactly where you are in the now, and then God will get you to the new. Can I give you, can you give me an amen? Amen. All right. Now, don't shrink from hard conditions. Hire the perch. Tougher the training. So if you're going through something tough, God must have something really good for you. I want you to think about all the people in the Bible who went to the top. They were all the people that were overlooking. Listen to me. God loves to hide people. He hid the king in a sheepfold. He hid a baby who's going to rule all of Egypt. He hid him in a basket. He hid the savior of the world in a manger, and then in a carpenter shop. That's how God works. God loves to find people who've been in obscure, hard, tough places. T.D. Jakes. You ever listen to T.D. Jakes? There's not a preacher in America that holds a candle to T.D. Jakes. He is the best. I'm telling you, nobody preaches like that man. He set your soul on fire. Until just relatively few years ago, he pastored a church of less than 200 people out in West Virginia. Dinky Nowhereville Church, but he still preached like that. And nobody knew it. And then one day, God says, okay, it's time for the covers to come off. And it's like, where did this guy come from? This had been going on for a long time. That didn't just start. And this is what I want you to see. So many of us will say, well, when I hit the big time, then I'll start doing it right. No, you got to start doing it right and doing it well when you're on the little bitty stage that nobody sees. All right. Now, last thing I'm going to share with you in this one. Think about developing a six-day project. What are you talking about, Brother Willie? I, I, just watching people over the years, everybody I know who's made a lot of money, there are people who work six days a week. You will break even on a five-day-a-week job. But if you're going to get ahead, you're going to have to put in the equivalent of six days. Now, listen to me. I didn't say you had to work all day on Saturday. I didn't say that. But this is what I did. I started learning if I wanted to get ahead, I couldn't shut it down at 5. I had to go home at 5. My wife is fixing supper, and I've got to be with my kids. I've got to have family time. But when my wife went to bed earlier than me, and so I always took at least two hours every night developing my skills. I read. I studied. I had a kid's TV show. We were cowboys. I poured through Western history books 
and I learned all kinds of Western history. People will say, man, this guy, I, I know all kinds of stuff about Western history. I could probably have a degree in Western history with all the study I've got. You ought to see the hundreds of books I've got on Western history. But I got that every couple of hours at night that I had. I poured into that stuff. I learned. I remembered that stuff. I made myself better in that because that's what I needed as background material to write my shows. Very often I would write my shows at night, not at the office, because it was easier to write at home than it was at the office. When all the kids were in bed, my wife's in bed, I could write then a whole lot easier than I could when I was in a busy office space. I put in all those extra hours. My wife and I, we bought houses that needed fixing. Every house we bought needed work. We'd buy it, and we'd spend a couple of hours here and a couple of hours there. And the next thing you know, we got that whole room done. We got it painted. We got it wallpapered. We got a new carpet in it. We fixed it up. Then we moved to the next room. And it would take us about a year to go through that whole house. And at the end of the year, we sold that first house in Tulsa and made $10,000. We moved into another house. Guess what we started doing? We're painting those rooms. We're fixing those things up. We're learning how to decorate. We're putting up wallpaper. Every little bit here, a little bit there. We lived in that house for a year. We put it on the market and sold it. We made $12,000. What did we buy? A house exactly like we wanted? No. We want one. We, we went in and said, you know what? This place stinks, but we're going to make it something. So we moved in it and started working on it a little bit at a time. It was decent. It wasn't bad, but we started fixing it up a little bit here, a little bit there. I'd come home from work, and my wife had done all kinds of stuff. She just, I mean, getting with it all day long, wallpaper and painting and all that decorating. We lived in that house for two and a half years and sold it and made $54,000. Today, we can live pretty much anywhere we want to live. I bought a piece of property. I fixed it up out in the country, 80 acres. I put fences on it. I dug a pond. I had the guys come dig a big bass pond. We planted pine trees. It had a second little house that was a dump. We turned that into a little castle. We made, are you ready for this? We made $1 million off that property when we sold it after living there for eight years. But we didn't start with the big piece. We started with the little piece. With the house that nobody wanted to live in. But we lived there and we fixed it up. See what I'm telling you? It's a six-day project. Six days shalt thou do thy labor. My son-in-law came to him and said, Willie, I want to talk to you. He said, I want to build a house. And I have learned over the years that even when I think people are making a mistake, just shut up for a minute and let them talk. He's never built anything. I don't know if he knows what a hammer is. <laughs> he worked in my warehouse, but I'd never known of him to build anything. But he said, Willie, I want to build a house. He lived in the little house that we remodeled and fixed up. I didn't want to see him and my daughter move and move my grandson away from us, but I got to listen. So he comes to me and says, I feel like I can do this. He said, there's a guy that I work with. In fact, he said, I'm over this guy in our warehouse. 
And he said, he's just a mild-mannered guy, an unassuming guy. But he and his wife build one speck house every year. And he keeps a 40-hour-a-week job, but every morning he gets up early and he meets with the subs before the day starts, writes notes, leaves instructions in the house. He comes there immediately after work, and they will build one house a year, and they will make about $30,000 profit. He said, I'm going to borrow the money. The bank has already told me they'll loan it to me because they have a guaranteed buyer, me. And I'm building the house. And so he went out and he built a house. And he did a good job. Because it wasn't him with the hammer. It was somebody else. <laughs> so he supervised the whole thing. He acted like he knew what was going on. He put things into that house that other builders weren't doing. It was amazing what he did. And after he got that built, he went to the bank and said, Would you do this again? They said, Yes, we will. And so he borrowed money and put up a spec house. And so he buys, the, builds this, buys a lot, builds a second house, and this couple comes in and says, we want this house. As the first day he had it on the market, they come in and want to buy it. They said, we love the way you build. And another couple comes in and says, no, you can't have it. We want this house. And so he's got two couples fighting over the same house on the same day. He says, wait a minute, I've got a solution. I've got another house over here. So he took them down the street to his house, and one couple said, yes, this is the house we want. So he closes on two houses in one day. So what does he do? He, he, and, and fortunately, he's married to my oldest daughter. My oldest daughter didn't want dolls for Christmas. You know what she wanted? She wanted calculators. The old push-button adding machines, that's what she wanted. Calculators. She was always, she started the HR program at our ministry. She's loved to do business stuff. And so she didn't mind moving into a duplex. They moved into a duplex, and they bought another a lot in another neighborhood. The bank is ready to go with them. You bet. How many houses you want to build? He built five houses in that neighborhood, sold every one of them. You know what he's doing now? Today he's developing his own neighborhood. He'll build every house in it. He'll make millions of dollars. You know what the name of his company is? Sixth Day Properties. Because he said it all started with me doing just one extra day of work. And it turned into a huge, huge blessing. That's what I want you to see. You don't know where this thing may go. You don't know. I mean, you, this may be something on the side for you. He came to me year ago and quit his job. He said, my business has gotten so big. And that's what happened to me. My business, my ministry got so big, I had to quit the church I was working for because I couldn't do the church and do what I needed to do. And God called me out to go do gospel bill. So God gave me ideas and I worked to do it. Now, when you do your sixth day, let me give you some ideas. What are you going to do with the money? Don't go buy a new stereo. Don't, buy, go, don't go buy a new sports car. This money is money you're going to use to get ahead. You're going to pay off your debt. You're going to use this money to get rid of a bunch of that debt. You're not doing it just to live higher on the hog. You're going to pay off some debt. You're going to start a savings account. You know what I found about all God's people? God says, I will bless you in your basket and I'll bless you in your store. You know what your store is? Your storehouse is your savings account. For a long time, my wife and I didn't have a savings account because we didn't have enough money. We're so poor, we couldn't pay attention. How are we going to have a savings account? 
So we didn't have a savings account. But I started realizing if I want the fullness of God's blessing, I've got to save some money. If all you do is put $5 a week in an envelope and stick it somewhere in a book, and you can keep most thieves from finding your stuff if you just put stuff in books. They don't look in books. <laughs> All right, now listen, I just stick my envelope in a book with $5 and every week put another five and there five and there five and the next thing you know, I got enough money to pay my car insurance. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a little bit here, a little bit there. God says he will multiply your savings account. If you don't have a savings account, 100 times is what? Zero. Zero. Do you see what I'm saying? So you got to start with use that six-day as get-ahead money. Use your five-day job as this is what we live on. But when you get that little bit of extra, use that. Buy tools with that. I know guys that they started a business, and the first thing they had to do is buy tools. And I started working extra, got this money, and now I, I'm, I keep adding to my stuff. I, I buy more tools, buy more tools. And then the next thing you know, their business expands because they've got the structure to work with. To get the business bigger. That's what I'm saying. And you know what? It starts one little step at a time. Let's take a break. We'll be back in 15 minutes and close this out. Yeah.